it's Rick Jones of Fishbait Solutions, and it's time for episode four in season three. Episode four, spelled F-O-U-R, is all about four, F-O-R, as in what are you for today from the bridge? I recently read a terrific book by Jeff Henderson called Know What You're For, A Growth Strategy for Work and Even Better Strategy for Life. Jeff is a minister at Gwinnett Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a church in the Andy Stanley-led family of churches. But before becoming a minister, Jeff worked for a long, long time at Chick-fil-A. And you've heard me a lot talk about Chick-fil-A as an example of excellence in a number of ways. The essence of this book is determining what you as a person and what you as an organization actually stand for. He starts with focusing your for on the customer, being for the customer in every way. And he asked the reader to ask two questions about their business or organization. Number one, what do you want to be known for? And number two, what are you known for? The gap between those answers is what the business needs to start working on. When the answers to these two questions are the same, then your customers have become fans. And these fans are your best marketing vehicle because they tell others about you. Your customers become your marketing team. You have to realize that word of mouth is still the greatest form of marketing that there is. For all my marketing majors out there, we all remember the four P's of marketing. Product, price, place, promotion. Jeff says that all four of these have been trumped and replaced by another P word, and that word is purpose. Jeff quotes one of the great advertising executives, Joey Ryman, with Joey's definition of purpose. Joey Ryman says, purpose is where your company's distinctive gifts intersect with the needs of the world. Wow. If you identify the needs and bring solutions to these needs in your own distinctive way, then your organization will soar. The problem is not that companies don't identify their purpose, but rather they do identify and then do nothing to prove it. Yes, yet another P word, prove. This week, think about your organization, your business or your team, and ask yourself and then all members of your team these two questions. Do we know our purpose and do we deliver on that purpose? Next week, we'll continue our discussion on Jeff's book with a look at being for the team. That's your team. Speaking of identifying and understanding purpose, my very special guest today is my pal, Jim Rink from Nashville, Tennessee. Jim is one of the most talented and creative people I know, and he's here today to both tell you a little about it about his amazing career 
and talk about his latest passion pursuit to help people find out their own passion and what they want to be for. Jim has had a very successful career in entertainment, but has now turned his attention to helping people find their purpose with his company, Purpose of You. Let's welcome Jim to the bridge. Hey, Jim, glad you're with us today. Rick, thrilled to be here with you and um, and your audience. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity. You betcha. Let's go back, way, way back, and start at the beginning. Where did you actually grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In the 70s, I was a, man, I tell you, sports in Pittsburgh were, uh, man, that was the year of uh, Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers and uh, Willie Stargell and the Pirates and the Penguins. I mean, it was just a sports team, and I grew up with a love of sports and entertainment in Pittsburgh. Well, you know, Pittsburgh is one of my favorite cities. I mean, it's you talk about a city that has had a renaissance, too. I mean, there's just uh, excitement and energy and restaurants and all sorts of things as they've pretty much restored a lot of the old steel mills and you know, created kind of a mini tech hub and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Pittsburgh. And then, uh, you know, who's who's the um, who was the classic um, African American um, uh, Austin um, uh, guy? Uh, Austin Wilson, uh, August Wilson. August Wilson is a playwright that okay. that has done all kinds of wonderful. Um, stories about uh, the African-American community in Pittsburgh uh, over the years that are really, really uh, interesting um, pieces of work. But, but then you, you go to Oral Roberts. That, that, had to be, that had to be culture shock. It uh, was a huge culture shock. Number one, it's in Tulsa, which was completely foreign than the, you know, the melting pot of cultures that I grew up with in Pittsburgh. Um, and it, you know, it was different cause it was my first time really being in, you know, more of a Christian school, which is a different culture change. But I tell you the reason that I went there, I fell in love with television in high school through a public television, uh, through a public, uh, high school having a television uh, program. And that's where I first fell in love with producing and working on television, uh, projects. And I knew I wanted to study television and film and, uh, ORU actually had the best television uh, schools in America, film, New York uh, or L.A. But, boy, I tell you, for television production, they just had a first of class uh, program and they were also a broadcast facility. And I knew that if you were a good student, you got to work in the broadcast facility. And that's really why I went there was for the internship and the hands-on practical experience in television and learning how to become a television producer. You know, it's interesting. We're going to talk a lot this morning about purpose. And I think it's kind of unusual for someone as young as you were at the time coming out of high school to absolutely know what you wanted to do and where to go get it. Yeah, I, I I didn't realize how fortunate I was at the time. But I will tell you this, Rick, because you bring up the purpose side of it. I started having a longing for purpose when I was 14 years old. And it really came down to a really pivotal moment in my life 
where I had an older brother who had special needs. He had Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Yep. And he was dying when I was 15 years old. He was 16, or I'm sorry, 14. And right before I turned 15, he actually died. And if you know anything about Duchenne muscular dystrophy, is it's hereditary. And for some reason, I should statistically have the disease, and I don't. So I knew at a very young age that my life, I was alive for a reason, and I was on a quest in a in a mindset to figure out, okay, why? What's the purpose of all of this? Well, one of our charities at Fishbait is Duchenne's. We, we run a, a big program with the American Football Coaches Association called Coach to Cure MD. And, right. it's, and it's all about Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. You know, it's the number one genetic killer of boys, only affects boys, no cure. Yep. And um, our coaches every year in September, the last Saturday of September, make that uh, Coach to Cure MD day, and they wear patches on the sidelines and, and do a lot of stuff. But I didn't know you had a Duchenne's brother. That's uh, yeah. that, that is yeah. a, a, that is you know, at that age to watch your brother pass, you, you don't have the disease. You wonder, why don't I have it? He has it. And then, you know, the challenge of, okay, what am I supposed to do with my life? Um, right. Yeah. Right. So you life, go- got, life got real when at the passing of my brother yeah. um, when I was 14 and then right as I turned 15 and trying to really sort through all of that. Well, you go to Oral Roberts. What was your first job out of college? Well, uh, actually, I was I, I worked my way through uh, the ORU Broadcast Center. So I was by the time I graduated with my degree, I had already had four years of uh, hands-on experience working in a broadcast center, and I started out in working college, you know, really doing any and all grunt work pulling cable, wrapping cable, getting coffee, all the typical stuff. And I'd worked my way up into as, as a segment producer, as well as an assistant director within that broadcast center. So once I uh, got a job, my eyes were firmly fixed on um, California and moving to Southern California and really trying to build a career in television and uh, film in uh, yeah, Southern California. So you moved to Southern California. And, I did, and then, yeah. And then what happens? Uh, you know, I ended up working at a production studio, and um, one of my mentors when I was in college, a gentleman by the name of Phil Cook, who was, it was the television director, he had actually started a business, and I watched Phil build a television uh, production company on his own as a side hustle, as a side job, but it really put the entrepreneurial bug in me and by the time I was 27, I decided I really wanted to work for myself. So a little bit before that, 25, I started my first company. And then I, then I pivoted at age 27 and really became an entrepreneur and started working for myself as an independent television producer in Southern California. Well, talk about some of the projects that you did during that period. You know, actually, at that period, I was doing um, a lot of direct response television or uh, doing some, you know, documentary was kind of, and storytelling was really kind of what I, I cut my teeth on and really got good at. So I was doing a lot of international documentary work, traveling a lot, um, and then just having a variety of different uh, uh, companies that were just my clients. Now, 
I would say at that point in time in my life, I was searching for purpose because I was realizing I was doing projects that were a little small, and I really felt uh, an interest to do something on a much bigger platform, which pushed me over to doing some postgraduate work at UCLA, and I had some really great professors there that really encouraged me to uh, pick an entertainment city to live in. And at the time, I was living in San Diego, so I was looking at New York, Los Angeles. And then, oddly enough, I started getting moving to Nashville or traveling to Nashville for some of my clients. And Nashville just seemed to be a great place to build my business. So in 94, I moved from San Diego to Nashville and really made Nashville my home for the future business projects that I was doing. Well, you've done a lot of work in the entertainment space. Um, I know you did some work with, I think, Dick Clark Productions and some others. Talk, talk a little bit about some of the, some of the entertainment uh, projects you've done. Right. Well, I, you know, oddly enough, it was, you know, I was 30 years old when I moved to Nashville, and I quickly started to diving into more about uh, purpose and purpose-based leadership. And I studied a couple of really good books. And then that's really when I wrote my my purpose of view curriculum. But when I wrote it, I immediately took it to my television projects. And that's when I went from doing projects that were tens of thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars. And that was really the pivotal change. So the very first project that I I created with a gentleman by the name of Robert Deaton. Uh, who is the, now the executive producer of all CMA properties. He had brought me in to launch the CMA Music Festival. The very first year we did it for CBS, and then it pivoted and moved over to ABC, which built the entire relationship between the CMA and the Country Music Association and ABC. So I helped launch uh, and produced for 10 years the CMA Music Festival the first year for CBS and then the following years with ABC. That also got me introduced to a young 15-year-old girl at the time by the name of Taylor Swift that I cast for a project um, for uh, a cable channel, uh, GAC, and I cast her for a series that I was launching called Shortcuts um, and did that. And also we did a secondary project with her for her first television special called A Place in This World, which then led me also into producing shows for Lifetime and creating the Army Wise Gives Back franchise for Lifetime. So it all really comes down to um, entertainment properties that are all a little bit that are really focused in purpose. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. I, I think you look things happen sequentially. I, I, I talk a lot to young people about identifying their gifts and then growing their gifts, but you have to learn your craft. I mean, you know, you, 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 you know, you didn't go from, Oh, I'm, I'm getting out of college and I'm going to go do multi-million dollar things. You had to kind of do it one building block at a time as you got good at storytelling at, at, you know, producing it, it, you know, putting things together. And then I think that leads you to bigger things. But I, you know, I, I think you, I always tell people, you know, don't get ahead of your skis. Um, you know, first things first. <laughs> and the yeah. first thing is get really good at your craft. Yeah. 
and especially in entertainment. Entertainment is an industry that is built around excellence. You have to be great. Um, my one of my mentors that I mentioned earlier, Robert Deaton, he gave me a very clear directive as the executive producer that I was working for for the CMA is you have to do something so great they cannot deny you. And that is so true. You have to do everything great with greatness and excellence. Good has to be your enemy. Yeah, and that's hard because I think, and I think it's really, it gets harder as you get older. You know, we all get comfortable then. We get a little fat and happy and, and you know, we start thinking that good enough is good enough. And, and then you realize, you know, it's not. And there's always going to be somebody younger, better, hungrier that's going to take your spot unless you have this attitude of greatness every day. Yeah, that's true. You did a true. you did a really fun project. Again, I'm I'm a son of the you know, the seventies and, and, and I grew up as just this enormous Doobie Brothers fan. I mean ah, they, they, they the just Doobies. yeah, yeah. They were just you know, they were my band. I mean, they, I just loved the Doobies. And and later on you 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 kind of put what I call the band back together with an amazing um you know, uh, album and 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 yeah. special where they you know married themselves with some of the leading country music artists. Talk a little bit about that project because that yeah, that, that the, was tremendous. Yeah, the Doobie Brothers Southbound uh, project. I got brought in by the record producer David Huff. Um, they knew that they needed a television vehicle and television properties, which they brought me in to help create. And what I loved because I tell you. The Doobie Brothers were extremely influential to me. And, uh, and also, like, the minute-by-minute minute record that, uh, of, of the Doobie Brothers was really powerful because, as I mentioned earlier, when I was 14, 15 years old, that's when my brother was dying. And mm. that record was the last record that my brother and I shared together. So it was the soundtrack to, to watching my brother die to just going through the morning process and trying to really figure out purpose and meaning in life. Um, so to sit down with Michael McDonald and, um, and Patrick Simmons and Tom Johnson and tell them, look, I'm passionate about telling this story and working with you guys because your music has touched me greatly. And talk about guys, those three gentlemen, um, that were all real pivotal members of the Doobie Brothers. They all have a work ethic of excellence and greatness. I mean, watching Michael McDonald record his vocals of how he sings and how he performs in his meticulous t attention to details. I, I, I've never seen a work ethic like Michael McDonald in the recording studio. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. I, uh, another one of our, charitable clients is the V foundation for cancer research. And there's a really funny story. We, every year, um, we run this thing called the Jimmy V classic in Madison square garden and December. And in October, we would do a special event where we would bring in the four coaches that were going to play in the Jimmy V classic. And we would do a live and silent auction. And one of the live auction items every year is this trip out to Napa, California for the Jimmy V Wine Festival. And and the woman at the time, Joyce Ashenbrenner, who ran the V Foundation fundraising, she came to me and said, I can't give this away. I need you to bid it really high. And then don't worry about it. I'll give you your money back. I just can't, I can't give it away for nothing. And I said, sure. So I bid. And she came by afterwards and said, thanks, Rick. No problem. I said, no, no, I'm going to go. 
I'm, I'm going to write you a check. I'm going to go. And she goes, no, no, you don't have to do that. I said, no, no, Charlotte and I, we're going to go. And, and that year we went, amazing event, and the, the culminating event was at Francis Ford Coppola's winery, and Michael McDonald was the guest entertainer. Uh, Unfreaking believable. I mean, yeah. I still get cold chills thinking about how good that guy is. I mean, what oh, a musician. Yeah. yeah. And I tell you, he is salt of the earth. He is the sweetest, kindest gentleman you, had, you could ever think or imagine. He truly, truly is just a wonderful soul. Well, you're a guy that, you know, I'm not going to say finally because it was a journey, but you figured out your purpose, and now you've decided, hey, I'm going to try to help others figure out their purpose. And that's very, very exciting. Why now and why purpose? Yeah, good question. You know, the truth is, in my quest for purpose, I was really able to define it in my 30s. At right after, shortly after I moved to Nashville, I'd re- I had read a great business book called Built to Last, yeah. but it's an analytic book, and it's great for business leaders talking about visionary businesses, and the visionary businesses all have purpose, values, and goals to go live their purpose. And But what I realized was there wasn't a curriculum to help entrepreneurs like myself figure out how do you write a purpose statement? How do you write a values declaration, let alone goals to go live, you know, to go live it? So I ended up thinking, well, why don't I just make a fictional uh, documentary? And I thought I will uh, play in this documentary that I'm going to um, do an interview with Walt Disney to help figure out how he wrote the purpose statement of Disney is to make people happy. Short, simple, declarative. To make people happy. That's Disney's purpose statement. So once I, anytime you do a documentary, your questions are always what is going to lead the person to giving you the narrative that you need to build your story. Well, once I wrote all the questions, I thought, well, I can answer these questions myself. And once I realized that, then I realized, oh, I also have a program where I can go help other people. So the purpose statement that I wrote is my purpose is to communicate hope, to help people, to make people happy. And I realized, oh, I can put this to work in my business for my television projects. And it worked great. And that's when I saw significant growth going from tens of thousands of dollars to multi-million dollar projects. But then I immediately started teaching it kind of as a side hustle, just helping friends, family members. I teach it at my church because basically I then wrote a curriculum where it's eight steps to help you figuring out and defining your own purpose. And these are very similar purpose business strategies that John Nordstrom did when he built Nordstrom or what uh, Walt and Roy Disney did when they built Disney or what Steve Jobs did when he built Apple. It's you always have to have a purpose, a reason for existence beyond profitability. And so when I turned 50, this is a couple of years ago, I realized the entertainment industry has shifted and changed. It's not exactly what it was when I started my career. And I was in this place in my life that I thought, okay, what do I really want to do for significance? And I thought, you know what? I really want to focus more time and attention on helping others, other entrepreneurs, other future business leaders, other dreamers figure out their purpose and really build a purpose strategy for individuals to help guide and lead their life 
so that they can go create new and better things. Well, what a legacy that will be, you know, uh, the ability to pass on what you've learned about developing your purpose to others that are going to then find their purpose, and then and they're going to, in turn, help other people find that, their purpose, you know? I mean, it's a continuum. It is, it is. And, you know, the, the truth is, one of the things that, you know, I learned, I learned as I re- read Built to Last is you realize all of these businesses, visionary businesses like Sony and Walmart and, and Nordstrom and, and Disney, you know, across all spectrums of business, their purpose statements always had, as I went and looked through it and, and basically reverse engineered their purpose statements, they all have core feelings plus actions and people they want to go influence for a greater good. Feelings plus actions, plus people equal purpose. So when, we, when I work with uh, entrepreneurs or college students today, what I'm helping them do is figure out what feelings touch them that they're wanting to go give to other people, the actions and things that they love to go do, and who do they really want to go influence for a greater good, the people they really want to touch. And you build those, uh, those simple little uh, framework, you can build the puzzle piece so that in a couple easy steps, they're figuring out, oh, this is my purpose. This is really what I want to go do. And you can build businesses around that. It's great for college athletes. It's great for entertainers because you all, it's great for influencers because we all need some kind of brand identification that we're going to be great at. And you're going to be great at your purpose because it's really what you've been built to do. You know, I talked earlier on the podcast today about the fact that identifying your purpose is just the start. You actually got to prove it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've got to live that purpose. And I love that middle part you said, which was the action part. You know, you, you got to do it. You, you know, the purpose statement is not something that you write and stick on the shelf and say, well, I got that done. Let me move on with it. It, it really defines the roadmap for yes. what you're going to do with your life and what you're going to do with your business. Yeah, and that's the um, that really becomes the goal part of it. I mean, if you can have big goals, then it becomes a lifestyle. You're always living your purpose, but you have to train your mind to think differently about your purpose. It doesn't have to be some mystical. It needs to actually be very simple, and it doesn't need to be just aimless. It needs to be a strategy. And the more you have that purpose strategy, it becomes a lifestyle and it's a business strategy. You end up becoming, as Bill Talas would show you, for businesses that have purpose, values, and uh, goals, they become six times more profitable than their competitors. Competitors just chase profits, but a purpose-based company chases purpose and it actually makes them six times more profitable. Yeah, I've just finished reading an amazing book by Steve Robinson, who was the chief marketing officer for 35 years at Chick-fil-A, and it's called Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A. And and basically, and basically it is a story about Truett Cathy's purpose and how he yeah. took his purpose and, and, and took a boneless chicken sandwich. <laughs> yep. And, 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 you know, they're – their same store comps are five times higher than anybody else's. They're, they're yep. more profitable than any other fast food restaurant, and they're only open six days a week and not seven. And and it's all driven by their purpose. I mean, it, it, it really emanates about Chick-fil-A, purpose. Yeah. yeah. 
Chick-fil-A has an enormous purpose and it's deeply embedded into the culture and fabric of the company. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible book about how they stayed true to their purpose um, throughout everything. I think your timing is perfect right now, too, because I think coming out of COVID-19, there were a whole lot of corporate people or a whole lot of people that said, you know what, I'm not sure I want to do that again. I, I found out that I was just a number. Um, maybe I didn't matter. I'm seeking my own personal purpose, and I think you're going to see over the next you know, one to two to three years, more entrepreneurial startups, maybe than ever before in the history of our country. And and you're in a great position to say to those entrepreneurs, let, let me be your guide. Let yeah. Me, yeah. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. Well, what we've realized in a lot of the data that we've kind of collected is number one, Gen Z and millennials care more about purpose than they do a paycheck. They care about purpose. And one of the data that like the entrepreneurial generations of just Gen Z uh, uh, individuals, they're saying 72% of them want to start a business because they believe it'll fix some of the world's problems, which is a great, great passion. What I'm trying to do is help those individuals figure out why. Well, thank God for that Why? because because you know we're in an era that one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to completely look to the government to solve everything, and I go back to the the great Ronald Reagan uh, quote where he said, "The scariest thing in the world, the scariest statement in the world is, hi, I'm with the federal government and I'm here to help you.' Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I'm a big, but I am a big believer that capitalism without compassion, and you know, with my faith, I even say capitalism without Christ." It is a sin. It's it's a sin. And entrepreneurs that want to build businesses to help society, to help solve problems, to find ways to create opportunities, that's the future. And that's exciting. It is exciting. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, one of the challenges or opportunities, depending on how you look at it, for Gen Z as well as millennials and anybody that's still in their 40s, in you know early 50s, is that in the next 10 years, by 2030, Dell Technologies predicting that 85% of the jobs that people will be doing in 2030 haven't been invented yet. So we are in a season of ongoing change, and the majority of that is because of the rapid adv- uh, advancement of artificial intelligence. So you have to build businesses that are ready to change and that can pivot. And if you have purpose, then you have a true north. You yeah, can was, adapt and you can get, and you stay on track. Yeah, it was interesting in this uh, Chick-fil-A book, uh, True Kathy owned a little tiny diner um, called the Dwarf House um, in, um, in Atlanta, in Hapeville, actually, between Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport and the Ford factory. And, that, and, he, and he ran it for 27 years before he – started Chick-fil-A and he started Chick-fil-A in shopping malls and, mm. and he grew as shopping malls grew. Well then shopping malls quit growing <laughs> and then you have yeah. to pivot and you have to become standalones. And then when you become a standalone and you own your own business, you know, when you were a mall based business, you didn't have breakfast because the mall didn't open until 10 o'clock and nobody was going to eat breakfast. And now you have to have breakfast. And he was able to pivot a lot, but the purpose never changed. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, purpose can be a huge business strategy just to help you advance, create new opportunities, and to continually pivot. Continually pivot. 
Well, I want to kind of switch gears uh, with our final little segment here. Uh, we had um, a couple of weeks ago, we had TJ Nelligan on, who's a dear friend who had a special needs child. Uh, yeah. And he wrote a great book called Live Like Sean, Lessons I Learned from My Special Needs Child. I know you have a special needs child. Talk a little bit about how that kind of changes your perspective or or how it you know changes just kind of the way you live your life. Yeah, James the Great. He is the dude of all dudes, man. I James is now 15. He has autism and Down syndrome. So he is, uh, man, I tell you, I, I tell everybody my job, I've got a lot of great jobs, a lot of great gigs, but being James's father is by far my favorite gig. He, um, my, you know, my mission in being his father is to raise James to be a man of greatness and excellence. Special needs is special needs. He can be great and excellent just being who he is. And I tell you, the, the thing that I probably learned the most from James is his nickname is James the Great. Everybody that loves him, knows him, calls him James the Great. But I Nick gave him that nickname on the day he was born for a reason. And you mentioned faith and what it really taught me. The one thing that James is always teaching me is the teaching of, of my faith, which is I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are children. James will always be childlike. He says children are, are the greatest in this kingdom of heaven because they always have to trust other people. James will always have to trust other people because of his mental disability. He is great purely because of the way he was born. And he's a constant reminder to me to always trust God and the, and, and the people that, um, that are always there to help me. And as I help James be a man of greatness and excellence at whatever he chooses to do uh, in life, uh, he's a man of greatness and excellence and just specialness because of, um, of how he was born and his disability. And, you know, the, you know, the good thing is, is I grew up a brother of a special needs child. Correct. Yeah. And, and that kind of really helped prepare me for, uh, being James's father. Well, I also think it it gives you great context when people find their purpose and then turn to you and say, "You know, this is really hard." <laughs> and you go, "Yeah, it is hard. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna overcome obstacles. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're given certain gifts. In some cases, you're given maybe certain limitations, but you can be the best you." Yeah. Well, the great thing about purpose is, and this is something that I learned from Walt and Roy Disney and looking at how they managed Disney in the Great Depression, is purpose helped transcend the chaos of the Great Depression for the Disney brothers. I mean, they, they, they were on the verge of bankruptcy, and then Walt created the adventures of Mickey Mouse. And then they took all the profits of that, and they created Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was $8 million of revenue in 1937 and 38, which is like $146 million today. Purpose will help you transcend chaos. And I tell you, you get the diagnosis that your child has a mental disability or special needs, purpose helps transcend it because you begin to have a perspective of saying, okay, there's greatness in this. What do you want me to learn from this so that I can bring my purpose to help uh, raise James. And I certainly see that. I'm, my purpose is to communicate hope, to help people, to make people happy. So my purpose is to communicate hope to James, to help James, to make James happy. 
Well, that's a great place to leave our conversation today. Tell tell everybody out there how they can reach you, because I think there are a lot of people listening that are going to go, hmm, I want to find out a little bit more about this purpose thing. Yeah, purposeofyou.com is the website. You can reach me on the Start Now button. It sends me an email, or you can follow me on social media at, at James M. Rank, R-I-N-K, James M. Rank. Um, purposeofyou.com and James M. Rank. Uh, yeah, James M. Rank. Well, I'm excited about where you're going and some things that I think we're hopefully going to be able to do together. And I can't thank you enough for being with us today from the bridge. Thank you, brother. Here's today's view from the soapbox. How well do you tip? How well do you tip waiters or valet drivers or bellmen? Or bartenders. Lately, all I see are help wanted signs everywhere. There are literally millions of jobs out there. Unfortunately, a lot of people have decided it's better to take the taxpayers' money and not work. But instead of a rant about these people, I want to salute the people that are doing the often thankless task, like parking our cars, carrying our bags, and serving food to us. Here's two suggestions. Number one, thank them. Look them in the eye and sincerely thank them for working for you. Then number two, over tip them. I use a Capital One Venture card and I absolutely, absolutely love it when they check in with me and ask, did I really mean to tip that amount? Yes, I did. I cannot do anything about the minimum wage. We'll save that for another soapbox day. What I can do is show them my appreciation by putting my money where my mouth is. Speaking of waiters and waitresses, here's a great place without any of them. I love the old meat and three joints across the country. Maybe the best of the best is Arnold's Country Kitchen in Nashville, Tennessee. Started in 1983 by Jack and Rose Arnold, the place is now run by their children. It's the classic Southern buffet. You grab a tray and walk down the buffet line and pick from a half dozen meats as your entree. Then you pick from literally dozens of vegetables, grab a biscuit or a cornbread muffin, and a glass of sweet tea. It's the classic meat and three. But since our theme today is four, F-O-U-R, let's grab a slice of one of those homemade pies and then go home and take a food coma nap. It's Arnold's Country Kitchen on 8th Avenue South in Music City on the road with Rick. That's a wrap for today. Just thinking about all that food made me both hungry and sleepy at the same time. We hope you'll be back with us next week from the bridge. <laughs>